Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Uh, welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855kHz on your AM dial. Uh, hi, I'm Bill, and I'd like to start the show by acknowledging the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which we transmit 3CR's people-powered radio. Uh, each week on the Living Free Show, we showcase one of the 12-step programs that assist recovery from drugs, alcohol, gambling and food addictions. Our guests share their recovery story and highlight that shared experience saves lives. This week we're talking about recovering from alcoholism and how support from a 12-step group like Alcoholics Anonymous can make a real difference. Uh, I'd like to welcome Tamara and Jane into the studio this afternoon. Hi. Hi, Bill. Bill. They're members of Alcoholics Anonymous and will share their experience with alcoholism and how AA has helped them. Alcoholism, a lot of people don't really understand how it, how it starts, how you, how you become an alcoholic. And I guess uh, the, the thing that most alcoholics share is that um, the first time they, they have a drink, uh, they realise that it does something special to them. So, Tamara, what was your sort of growing up experience and your exposure to alcohol like? How did that affect your life? Sure. Hi, Bill. Um, yeah, my name's Tamara. I'm an alcoholic. And I guess my experience with alcohol, both my parents drank um, I'd say that they were heavy drinkers. I was always around an environment with alcohol. For myself, I'm not sure whether I was born an alcoholic, became one, but my experience was that, you know, I was quite an unusual child, quite anxious, never really wanted to deal with reality in any way, shape or form. And my parents had always suggested it was a good idea to have a drink at home for the first drink. So I picked up my first drink when I was 12 um, and had a um, a few glasses of Lombrusco with my parents and from that very first drink I couldn't stop drinking and my parents had gone to bed and I fell, polished off uh, a whole lot of alcohol out of the liquor cabinet and blacked out that night. Uh, it was my experience that from that moment, um, you know, I believe I had a, a, the, the mental obsession and physical allergy with alcohol that's, that we learn about it, the disease of alcoholism from that first moment and my experience with that is just that I felt you know mentally obsessed with alcohol morning noon or night like there was this running ticking uh in my brain how am I going to get it how am I going to hide it you know and um and I had that physical allergy where for me from day one I drank until I blacked out or there was no more um and throughout the years that progressed uh yeah so how old were you when you started, when you really, when alcohol, when you realised it was, had a great effect for you? Probably about 17 in year 12. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, 17, 18. Okay. And so what was life like then if you were, you know, once you started to actively drink? Yeah, look, it was, um, uh, we were reflecting earlier, it was a, a, looking back, it was a really awful way to live it was an awful state of mind to be in to be mentally obsessed with alcohol morning noon or night you know how am I going to get it how am I going to hide it I can't talk to you because I need to be drinking you know there was just this running constant commentary in my head whether I was like I said drinking or not drinking it was an absolute obsession with alcohol morning noon or night and and the physical um like I said I've 
you know, I, I hid it from day one. I've had alcohol strapped to me. So living a life of hiding and lying about that because, you you know, I knew from day one I had an abnormal reaction to alcohol, an abnormal relationship with alcohol. However, I didn't understand it. I was just compelled to drink. And so it's a, it's a difficult way to live. Life was full of guilt and fear and shame and remorse for my behaviour when I had been drinking and things that I had done and... Um, yeah, it wasn't a great way to live at all. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so I'll cross over to you, Jan. Um, your drinking was a little bit different, wasn't it? You didn't start until much, much later. How, how did that happen for you? Thanks, Bill. Um, yes, I'm Jan and I'm an alcoholic. Uh, my drinking started seriously in my late 30s, early 40s. Prior to that, I don't think I particularly enjoyed alcohol. It wasn't part of our lives. I didn't grow up with alcohol in the family home. I had an aunt who was alcoholic, but she was kept well away from us, and that was all hidden. Uh, And so I didn't have any great interest in alcohol at all, but I was always an anxious person. Uh, My anxiety levels went from mild to worse and then at the odd panic attack every now and again Uh, and I struggled with those things and trying to deal with them and I just thought that's the way I was. I felt different to other people and when I reached my late 30s I think alcohol on the whole became cheaper really because we're talking the late 80s early 90s here and uh, cask wine in the fridge was available and I had some situations where I just discovered that one or two glasses of wine gave me a sense of relief and I was able to have those wines and I thought oh this is good Um, and it before long whenever I felt anxious wine was my answer it was cheap it was socially acceptable Uh, I could come home from work and have a couple of drinks and then get dinner and have drinks with dinner and then oh well we'll finish off the bottle Uh, and on and on it went and before I knew it even during the day when I felt unwell, uh, un, felt anxious, a glass of wine was, was the answer. I didn't need to do anything else. So did you need to, to hide your drinking? I did, I did. Uh, I could drink up to a point without hiding, but it reached a point where I, uh, I was hiding it. I, um, I hid bottles and I tried not to drink in front of people Uh, I would go out and not drink so that I looked like I wasn't a drinker or a heavy drinker and I I had, yes, wine hidden uh, throughout the house and I had to get rid of bottles and evidence and that became more of an issue with anxiety that caused even more issues. Very stressful. Very, very stressful to hide things like this and to keep what appears to be a normal life going. Uh, when you know and you know deep down in your heart that you have a problem and you can't deal with it and you're not dealing with it properly. Mm. Um, the other thing I understand is too that people get in the way of your drinking. Was yeah. that your experience? They do, yes, yes. Uh, I, uh, I heard an expression at a meeting yesterday that said uh, we dropped out of life and there were a number of things I dropped out of. I always wanted to be involved in things. I didn't know what, but I wanted to have friends and be involved and do things. But that would get in the way of my drinking. And uh, 
So I would stay at home and drink rather than do that. Uh, I would never... I, I have grandchildren and I never drank when they were over, but I was always waiting for them to leave so that I could have a drink. Uh, and I wanted to love them more and I wanted to enjoy them more. And I, that, once again, more guilt, more anxiety, more remorse. Mm. Mm. Not, not a good feeling. Yeah. Not a good feeling at all, no. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, so, Tamara, you, you found you couldn't, you, you couldn't limit the amount you took, so that must have taken you to, to some unusual places. Uh, yes. Yes, it did. <laughs> um, no, I've never been able to limit the amount of uh, alcohol that I've, I've drunk, only when there's been absolutely no way I can get any more. And then that's been a really incredibly painful experience to start drinking and then not be able to keep drinking because I'm physically unable to get alcohol is a really horrible place for an alcoholic to be. Um, so yeah. you're, you're in your teens, weren't you, when, this was, when you really started kicking in? So what did that mean to your social life? Uh, so I left high school and I guess for me it was really... Even though I knew deep down I had a problem with alcohol and I knew I was an alcoholic, however, I was quite a high achiever. I was, um, you know, got top marks at school. So I was a very, very driven person. Um, and um, when I left school, I went to acting school when I was 17 or 18 and I was in a social environment where people drank and partied, etc. But from that really early stage at acting school, I remember having hidden alcohol you know, in, in all sorts of places just to get through a class or something like that. But I was being banned from pubs and clubs for my behaviour at 18, 19, 20, um, blacking out then, not remembering what I'd done. People were telling me that I had an issue with alcohol. But because I was in an environment of being a performer and there was always a lot of alcohol around, I, had, I just didn't want to address it and I just thought that that was part of who I am. Yeah. Um, that was the delusion, anyway, that I was right. under. <laughs> yes. So, did you have a did you have a partner at that point, or did you? What were your relationships like? Uh, no, I didn't. I had friendships. I had lots of different friendship groups, and I think I flitted around to different friendship groups when people got sick of me, or you know, I'd, I'd find other friends that would deal with me. Which that would only happen to a period of time. I had a lot of different boyfriends, but most of the time, I would. Um, you know, I would leave that relationship before maybe they knew the truth about me. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so did you have any other social issues with your drinking? Did, the, did they bring you in contact with the law or anything like that? Yes. Yeah, so towards so my drinking progressed over the years and in, in all that time I really did try to address what was wrong with me. You know, I felt like I was a morally defective person. I couldn't understand my behaviours. I couldn't understand why I couldn't un- stop drinking. I had no knowledge of or understanding of the disease of alcoholism like I do today and that I've learnt through the, the program of AA. Um, and, yeah, I had a lot of um, – towards, sorry, towards the end of my drinking, there was a lot of drink driving involved. I was caught once for drink driving and lost my licence for six months and then eventually – and I guess what eventually brought me to my knees and to really see the truth of myself and my drinking was um, – a a car accident and a second drink driving offence where I was five and a half, almost six times over the limit and was facing five charges for my behaviour that night. Yeah, so it wasn't just drink driving. It was, um, you know, damaging property. I abused police officers. I ran off. 
Okay, yeah. very serious. <laughs> yes, yes, it was. And I think, um, you know, today I see that as the, the, the greatest gift that I have to share my story with others is, is how, I, how I was brought to my knees and the series of events that happened to me. I'm not sure if, you know, in my story if that, that hadn't happened um, because, you know, people had left my life you know, I'd gotten married in that time. My husband had left, family members had left, friends had actually said to me, we can't be friends with you anymore because we love and respect ourselves too much. We need to just step out. Uh, everybody had sort of left and I was still drinking. But I think for me when I was faced with, I had no plan to to drive the night that I drove my vehicle. I'd gone to great lengths to hide my car keys, to tape over my steering wheel, do not drive, to get a taxi to the event that I went to. But... Um, for me, I guess this is how powerless I am over alcohol. And, and being an alcoholic, I found a way to get in that car and, and then to have an accident, to face these charges uh, and see that my drinking was now going to a whole other level where, you know, I was facing a possible jail sentence or if not community service. Um, yeah, it, it helped me see the truth of where my drinking had taken me. Yeah, reality. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Ah, yes. Um, so, Jan, for you it was different? A similar sorts of thing, events but not your involvement. So you had a family illness issue that yes. got involved? Well, I, I found that if I... Uh, I would drink for, for the happy times and I would drink for the bad times and I would drink through them. Uh, my husband had a, a health issue that... Uh, could have been life-threatening and I just drank in order to get through that. I needed to be strong. I needed to... I didn't know where, what else to do. I had no reserves of mental energy or capacity to know how to deal with it. And that's how I dealt with all of the difficult things that happened. Um, I, and sometimes I would, I would lie about it. I would hide it. And I would pretend I wasn't drinking when I was. Uh, and I just became, it, it became all consuming and it was a way of life. It was a way of surviving day by day uh, so that nobody would know that inside I was struggling. I had no way of asking for people for help. I had no ability to ask people for help. I thought they didn't care. And when I wanted help from people, I didn't get the help that I thought I should uh, and I became very resentful and angry towards them because they didn't understand me. Um, just the fact I didn't understand them or ask them for what I wanted didn't matter. Uh, they should understand me. Um, I was very self-centred about that and very angry and that made me deserve. I thought I deserved some time to drink. Yeah. Mm. So I guess it also affected your anxiety, this, this overwhelming a, feeling that you're out of control and that will bring you back into control. Yes, yes. When you when you have that first couple of drinks, yes, right, I'm in control again. But the physical allergy and the mental obsession to have it, the physical allergy kicks in and you have to have more. And then you feel alcohol makes you anxious and depressed and you combine that with, as we said before, the uh, you combine it with what you have um, all all the remorse and the guilt and the shame 
of your lies and, and cheating and not living an, a true and honest life, when you combine those things together, you become worse and worse and you just spiral downhill into a, a void that you can't see any way out of. I tried to stop drinking on my own on number of occasions, any number of occasions, sometimes successfully, and it didn't matter. Even though I knew I felt better when I wasn't drinking, I had no way of avoiding that first drink. I still kept thinking I could, I could manage, I could have one drink and I'd try again. Right. I didn't realise it would take me back to the big, where I left off. Right, yes. <laughs> so you had the same issues with blackouts and doing things in, in blackouts that... Um, I didn't. Did I have blacked out? Uh, but I don't believe that. I've never been told that I've done anything in a blackout. Uh, so I have come to it a situation where I thought, "Oh, did I doze off then?" Uh, I tried very hard to control my drinking uh, to a certain level, and that, of course, once again caused more anxiety. <laughs> and so I knew how much I could drink before I had to stop for a day. And, uh, yes, it was it was hard, though. I wanted to drink more, but I wanted to stop. Mm. I, I wanted to stop, but I couldn't. Mm. So did you have many periods where you tried to stop and it worked for a period? Yes, over a 10-year period I tried. Uh, the first time uh, we were living overseas and I managed to stop for four months. Uh, but then we went on holiday and, of course, you know, well, I thought... I deserve a drink now. I've had a break. Oh, I should be right. But I went straight back. And over that period, the next 10 years, I tried to get some help from my doctor who gave me... One doctor gave me some medication, which helped me for about 12 months. Um, but I had no other counselling or anything. And so I, I felt better and I felt good but I was still thinking about the fact that I wasn't drinking rather than just getting on with life. Yeah, always uh, present. Yeah. It was, yes, yes, it was always present, Bill, yeah. exactly. Yeah, mm. yeah. okay. Uh, well, let's take a short break. You're listening to 3CR. We're at this time we're bringing you slightly different programming than usual. But rest assured, we're still here, bringing you radical, alternative current affairs, music and community language programming. Stay tuned to 3CR. Every June for the last few decades, 3CR has run a radiothon during June to raise much-needed funds to enable us to stay on air for another year. Because of the coronavirus restrictions, we aren't able to run our usual radiothon. Instead, we have opted for a 3CR station appeal to help keep us going during these difficult times. We hope that you value Living Free Show and would be willing to provide financial support to keep us on air at 3CR. We're all about supporting community change, and that aligns with the Living Free Show as well. We're about assisting gamblers, drug and food addicts, alcoholics and their families through awareness of 12-step recovery programs. Remember, your support will help keep Living Free's message of hope on the airwaves for another year. So please donate generously before 30th of June, and you'll receive a tax deduction for any amount over $2. Welcome back to the Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. I'm talking to Tamara and Jan and we're talking about recovering from alcoholism. So Tamara, what was your rock bottom? What, what made you think I've really got to do something about my drinking? Like I spoke about earlier with the, the car accident and, and what, what preceded, what happened after that event, 
was that um, you know I I really started drinking for a week and, and disappeared. I was somewhere off in Dandenong, and all I can say about my experience and my rock bottom is that it was Christmas Day, two thousand and ten, and um, and my mum had invited me to a uh, you know a Christmas lunch with her her boyfriend and family and, and said, promise me you won't drink. And, you know, the look of fear in her eyes and I promised her and I meant that with all my heart. There was no way I was going to pick up a drink. Um, however, I got to the Christmas Day and I was offered, um, a, you know, a, would you like a little bit of a mojito? And I said yes straight away without a thought at all. Uh, I had that, that sip of that drink. It set off that allergy in me and I couldn't stop drinking and did what I've always done, what I'd always done in the past, found alcohol, hid it in all kinds of places around the house, sneakily drank. And um, my mum had found me in a cupboard and I was um, slugging on a bottle of wine, crying my eyes out, saying to her, I cannot stop drinking. And for me, that next morning, I woke up and I had an experience, which um, it wasn't a spiritual experience. It was my rock bottom or my acceptance I guess of my alcoholism where I woke up and I knew I was going to die if I kept drinking or kill someone or in you know I knew it in deep in in my soul I knew that I can't have this much alcohol you know a tiny amount of alcohol for I cannot stop drinking and I knew my life was stuffed in every way possible my inward life you know I was full of guilt shame remorse pain anxiety fear and outwardly I was facing five charges at court I my marriage was gone. I didn't have any friends. Like I said, I only had my mum left and I'd let her down, you know, when I made a, a solemn promise to her that I wouldn't pick up that drink. And that day on that moment, that was Boxing Day, like I said, um, a few years ago, I rang a drug and alcohol counsellor at Morland Hall. I just looked up where was local in my neighbourhood. I'd never heard of AA before I had only in American movies and I didn't actually <laughs> think it was real or that it existed in Melbourne. Um, and I rang that drug and alcohol counsellor and I had to wait a week to see him. I didn't pick up a drink out of pure fear of just, like I said, that experience of knowing what I was capable of doing. Uh, I was scared I was going to die. I was scared I was going to do another crazy thing. So I hung on for dear life until I could see that that counsellor and that took a week. Right. It must have been a very long, long week for you. I can't really remember it, to tell you the truth. I, I know that I was crazy in my mind. It was very painful, very difficult. Yeah, and I was um, I was not picking up that first string on pure fear of what was going to happen next if I did. And, you know, I kept thinking about my mum. I just couldn't do that to her. That was the only thing that was keeping me hanging on from seeing that drug and alcohol counsellor. Right. So what happened when you met them? So I met him and... Um, yeah, I still remember that day and I guess for me it's it was just that connection, one alcoholic talking to another. Lucky for me, uh, he was a member of of AA and another fellowship. He would very freely express that to me when I spoke about my drinking and I just felt like I could trust him. It was the first time that I truly spoke about the truth, about what was going on in my head and my heart and how I felt, to be really honest about my drinking. Um, and he understood you know, he didn't say much except he told me that he had been sober for a number of years through the program of AA and he asked me whether I wanted to stop drinking completely or whether I wanted to control my drinking and, you know, I honestly answered him 
that I wanted to stop drinking. I just didn't think it would be possible for someone like me. And he suggested that I go to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous and that there was an answer there. Right. Okay. Thanks. Um, Jan, so you, your progression was much longer and slower. So how, how long did it take you before you realised that you just couldn't keep it up? Uh I think 10 years prior to joining AA, I knew I had a real problem and I tried, <clears throat> excuse me, I tried very hard during that time to give it up myself. Um, I felt very, I had, very, uh, I felt very much as though I had no willpower. I should be stronger, I should be able to do this myself. Uh, I knew about AA, uh, but there was no way I was going to go to AA. AA was not for people like me, uh, suburban grandmothers, um, and <laughs> and so uh, there. And what if people found out? Um, oh my goodness! But what if it was someone there that I knew? Uh, it never occurred to me that they would have been there for a reason and would have helped me. But uh, I I had to do this myself. I thought and. Uh, as I said, it just, over that 10-year period, I was definitely not going. That would be a sign of of weakness to give in. Uh, and then I reached a point one day out of the blue where I just knew I can't do this any longer. Uh, my, my life was like a house of cards and I could feel it starting to crumble. Um, Unlike Tamara, I didn't feel like I was going to die, but I was afraid of what might happen. I didn't know what would happen, but my whole world would fall apart. And so in desperation that day, uh, I phoned the AA hotline. I just found it on the website and I phoned them. And they uh, said to me, I'll get someone to call you back. And very shortly, somebody, a lady did call me back. And she just said, I'm going to a meeting near you tonight. Um, would you like to come? And I thought, oh, what have I done? Um, I have to say yes because I rang them. <laughs> <laughs> and so I went to my first meeting. And that night, uh, yes, was the start. And I, I just walked in there and I found people who were normal. Mm. Yes, there were middle-aged grandmothers like myself from the suburbs. There were young people. Mm. And I yeah, thought, no, this is probably where I'm meant to be. Mm. So do you feel like you fitted in? Is that I don't know that I felt that way right from the start. I was, I was really surprised at how normal everyone seemed and, and spoke. So from the beginning, I wasn't sure. Uh, but <clears throat> I went to a meeting the next day and um, because it was suggested that I try another meeting. The lady who'd taken me to the meeting on my first night happened to be at that meeting and she was asked to speak. She has a very, very powerful story and a very long history of sobriety. And her story just really, really blew me away. And I thought if something, if she can get through what she's got through and still have this positive outlook and be still helping other people, I guess there's something here. So I kept going back. And after about three weeks, I got one night at a meeting. Um, I think we were just talking afterwards, and there were people of a similar age to me I happened to be talking to. They had very similar 
uh, interests to me and my husband. And I saw something in their eyes. They were content. They were happy. They they weren't trying to hide things. They were just content and happy people. They were struggling with things, obviously. Life comes and goes. But generally, they were content and happy. And so I I thought, no, that's... I really wanted that. I wanted that really, really badly. Yeah. Um, and that was a turning point for me. Yeah. I just knew I've, I, I'll keep going. I thought I'd come along for a few weeks, learn how not to drink and that would be it. But uh, these people were still going and they did. It was a, a lifestyle change. Yeah. The thing yeah. that um, I think a lot of people find is that you feel very hopeless that you can't, you can't see how the situation mm. could change. And once you see people who are change, whose lives have changed, you get a whole lot of hope that it can happen for you. And that's a powerful thing, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Extremely, extremely, yeah. yes. And that's when you want it yeah. selfishly. <laughs> <laughs> and you'll do anything to get it. Yes. Um, so, Tamara, you came into AA. And what was your first feeling? What was your first response, I guess, to AA? Yeah, my first meeting that I went to, my mum came with me. It was a steps meeting in Fairfield. And um, I, as soon as I walked in the doors, I was a shaking mess. I was so frail and so unwell. And a woman came up to me and she, I guess she could see that I was a shaking mess. <laughs> and she, she came and shook my hand and said what her name was. Would you like a cup of tea? And um, and she she said to me, you know, this is a, a steps meeting. I didn't know what that meant, but there's a program in, in Alcoholics Anonymous. It's a 12-step program. But she said, we're going to go back to step one. And she told me what step one. We, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. And I was like, that's me. I'm completely powerless <laughs> over alcohol. My life is completely unmanageable in every way, shape or form. And she... she just suggested that I listen and, and listen for the similarities in people's stories, um, which I did that. And, and I felt I felt like I'd, I'd come home in a way. Um, I felt really connected to people's stories. I couldn't believe they were sharing so honestly about where alcohol had taken them and the depths of despair and their inner life, their emotional life, their thoughts, their feelings. So I knew that I'd found a place. I didn't I didn't really feel hope because I think like a lot of people that come into the rooms, I've heard them share that, you know, I honestly thought, well, it's great for you, but I'll never be able to do this. But I, I, I really enjoyed listening and I felt really connected. And after that meeting, that same woman came up to me and she said a few things to me that were really vital to me. And she said that if I was alcoholic, it wasn't for her to say, but I would end up dead in a mental institution or jail. However, there is a solution in these rooms and it's in this 12-step program. And she gave me her phone number and suggested I call her the next day. Um, when she said you'll end up in jail, a mental institution, you know, um, that just rang true for me or dead because, like I said, I would felt like I knew I was going to die if I kept drinking. I was facing a jail sentence and I felt mentally, you know, I, I, it, I was a daily drinker so being a couple of weeks without a drink was agonising for me. Um, I felt like I was on the planet Mars. Like I honestly couldn't connect with anyone. I felt like I should be locked away. So, you know, and, and similarly to Jan, um, so she gave me her number and I called her the next day and she suggested I get to another meeting. And I, was, and I said to her, but I just went to a meeting. 
you know, honestly, like, but I just went last night, that's where I met you. And she said, yeah, you know, what have you got on today? Nothing. I mean, I'd lost my job and everything in my drinking. And she said, well, there's this meeting, you know, Tuesday night. Why don't you just go? It's one hour, you know, like, well, there was always time for drinking, wasn't there? And I thought, yeah, okay. So went to the next meeting and, and, yeah. So on from there. That's right. Um, So the disease concept of alcoholism. So you understood when you came in that you were allergic to alcohol, but some people find it difficult to understand the disease concept. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Look, I didn't understand that when I came in. I knew that I couldn't stop drinking. Um, That woman, I kept ringing her and she'd told me a few things, which I didn't question. Um, I'd like... Uh, I don't know whether I couldn't really think anymore, but I've never thought too much about this program. I've just done what was suggested and it's through the action that I've been able to grow in understanding of my own disease and been able to not pick up that first drink um, and work a program in my life. So, um, no, I learned about that when I came in here and I I met up with her, I think. So my first meeting was the Monday. She'd suggested I get a home group and, and a sponsor and I just asked her straight away, what's it? What's the sponsor? Will you do it? Yep, come around Friday. And she explained to me the cycle of addiction, um, which really rang true to me. Um, and then we talked more about the disease concept of alcoholism, more about the mental obsession and the and the physical allergy in comparisons to people that are not alcoholics. And um, today, yes, I think a lot of people don't uh, potentially understand the disease. That was the question, wasn't mm. it, of yeah. alcoholism? Um, however, I mean... I don't really uh, talk – I don't really try to explain it that much unless I'm working with another alcoholic um, and yep. sharing my experience and, and um, I just – I guess people in my life and people that know me know that I have an illness that I need to treat on a daily basis and I try not to explain too much about it. Um, yep. Like my my partner's um, not an alcoholic and not a member but he understands – Similarly to he, he thinks AA is sort of like the mind gym that you're treating the mind and that if you want what other people have, um, he's, an, he's an athlete so he understands, um, I guess, um, you know, ritual and continually working on things on a daily basis. And if so, he sort of likens it to the gym that you, you know, you the mind gym, yeah, yeah, the yeah. mind gym that yeah. you go to a gym and, um, you know, but if you stop doing that, it may not happen overnight. But you'll eventually go back to the way you were before. Um, I haven't answered the question at all. <laughs> That's okay. Sorry, <laughs> I've gone off on a tangent. So I'll shoot across to Jan because um, you shoot to Jan. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, it, uh, the question is really about uh, you know I, I grew up in an alcoholic family, and so we the the family of the alcoholic are obsessed with the alcoholic, and the alcoholic's obsessed with the alcohol. And so what was your view of your husband and how did he cope with your drinking? Oh, that's hard. Um, He worried, uh, but he tried, I think, to let let me deal with it. Um, He would get frustrated and angry at the end when he realised that I was starting to, you know, I was lying and I was cheating about my drinking. Um, he understandably, yes, was, was angry. I don't, I don't know that he, either of us particularly understood the disease concept. I knew that there was a disease concept 
um, how how it how it worked. I didn't understand until I had the uh, the idea of obs- the mental obsession and the physical allergy explained to me. Uh, but he he's like Tamara's husband uh, partner. He's been incredibly supportive of what I'm doing. Uh, he sees it as a as a change in a way of a change in my way of life, and he understands also that that daily rituals that help me. For me, it's it's meditation and reading and keeping physically active and doing things with other people, mm. and not isolating at home. And that's something that's very much encouraged by him. And yes, yeah. so yes, I think that disease one's a t- difficult thing to answer yeah. <laughs> and it's hard to give uh, expression to how another person felt about your your disease or your illness. Yeah. Mm. Well, I, I think the other thing is because the alcoholic's obsessed <clears throat> with the alcohol, they, everybody else gets in the way of drinking. Absolutely. And so you, you, you're, you're not looking at them, but no. they're, I can tell you they're looking at you. <laughs> I'm sure they were. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Let's take another break. Throughout the month of June, 3CR is running a station appeal. We're asking you, the listener, to donate to keep the station going. 3CR relies on the support of our listeners, but we know that many of you are doing it hard. So if you can't, we get it. But if you can, head to 3cr.org.au to make your tax-deductible donation to the 3CR station appeal. You're listening to Living Free on 3CR on your digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. I'm chatting to Tamara and Jan about recovery in AA from alcoholism. Um, So, Jan, you made it into AA. Yes, I did. And so how's that changed your life today? Oh, my life has changed on the inside dramatically. Um, on the outside, I don't think there's a lot of change. Some of my friends who I've recently told that I joined uh, AA have been sort of surprised and haven't noticed a lot of difference. But inside me, I'm a totally different person. I've become... I'm becoming the person I always wanted to be. Uh, I, my anxiety levels have, have reduced enormously both because I'm not drinking and I'm not worrying about all the lying and trying to keep on top of all of that and what people think about me, but also because I have dealt with those the anxiety that I've had for the whole of my life uh, with my doctor and counselling. And so those things have all made a huge difference. And I now go to regular AA meetings, which I really enjoy. I've made friends. I've learned a lot about myself uh, about how to deal with other people or my dealings with other people. I was a very judgmental person and now I try to keep a much more open mind. My family's situation is, is just happy and that just gives me such joy. I, I can be in the moment with people. Uh, I can enjoy and love my family 
in a way I never dreamt I could. I always thought that when I got older, my life would change, that things would get better. I'd be When I was a grown-up, when I was a child, I thought when I'm a grown-up, I'll understand and I'll accept and things will be good. Then when I became a grown-up and I had children, or maybe when I'm a bit older and they're not. But suddenly now in my 60s, uh, it... You've made it. I've made it. I've made it. I've got a great life. I do things outside AA that give me great joy and great pleasure. And through meeting people in the rooms, I have experienced and done things that I never dreamt. I mean, I'm here talking on the radio (laughs) (laughs) about my alcoholism, which I never dreamt. I would, I mean, I had to hide that at all costs. Mm. So that's huge changes. I'm, I'm a happy person. So, um, but I, I guess being able to ask for help means that you've been able to solve some of your other yes. major problems like anxiety yes. and things like that. Exactly. So does that, does that um, you know, when you're talking to other people about alcoholism, do you suggest that as a, I guess, as a, as a relief that once you can actually let people know where you are, you, you can actually ask for help? It does. Yeah. It's it's an enormous an enormous change that uh, I didn't ask for help because I wasn't brought up to do that, uh, and being able to phone somebody who understands you, uh, I can ask for help within my family better than I could. But outside the family and within pe- people within AA, who have maybe had similar experiences or are just there for you, and I these days believe I'm worthy of being helped um, I I know that there will be people there to help me I had a situation recently where um, <clears throat> same husband had an accident and I had no idea um, how badly he was hurt an ambulance had been called and I didn't occur to me to drink I knew uh, as I was driving to meet him at the hospital I knew that Whatever happened and whatever the situation was, I would be okay that there were other people I had met who had similar and worse and horrible situations and they were surviving. They were getting on with their lives. They were leading productive and happy lives and that I could call on them and even if it was a worst-case scenario, they would be there and they, I, things would be bad and it would be horrible but I would get through. I wouldn't need to drink it. I would, I would be all right. Fortunately, he was fine. <laughs> After, yes, one night of um, observation, he was perfectly fine. So um, I was ex- eternally grateful for that. But it, I'm very grateful for the fact that I could look at it that way. Mm. To be able to detach and just get on with your life. Get yeah. on, yeah. yep, get on with it and care and do the things I had to do uh, and and be there. Mm. Yeah, that's good. Um, Tamara, what... How's how has things changed for you um, since coming into AA? Uh, yeah, my life is completely different in every way, shape, and form. Um, it's quite a miracle. I often feel like I'm looking in on my life, and I can't believe it's my life. And it's only because I've came to AA and have turned up and done what's been suggested to me. I've actually put in the action, and through that, I've had an experience that. I never believed it was possible for someone like me to be free from the obsession to drink alcohol. It is really a miracle um, and it's really inspiring to listen to you, Jan. Um, I really love the AA program. It's 
it's just absolutely amazing. And my life today is most importantly different on the way I feel about myself and my inward life, my emotional life, emotional, mental, physical, spiritual life is completely different. I don't wake up anymore full of guilt and shame, remorse, dread, anxiety, fear of what's going to happen, fear of my lies unravelling, fear of not knowing what I've told other people. Physically, I was really unwell by alcohol, um, so I often felt really, really sick. When I came into the rooms, my hair was falling out. I was a shaking mess. Um, My liver was really unwell. So physically and emotionally, the way I feel about myself and the way I was physically is you know, completely different. I'm free from that today and, um, you know, I'm physically healthy and and mentally and emotionally well, provided I do certain things on a daily basis, which I'm really committed to doing because this, you know, this program works. It's definitely working in my life and Jan's life and and many of us. Um, And outwardly, my life is incredibly different as well. I You know, when I came into the rooms, I'd lost employment. Um, I wasn't homeless um, however, it, you know, that was probably a yet for me. Um, but today I, I am employed. It's the first time I've been actually employed by an organisation in, um, you know, in a completely different role. So, um, yeah, I'm a youth worker and I never ma- imagined and it was never part of my plan that I would be doing that. In my, when I was drinking, I was an actress and, um, and had owned businesses, cafes. So, I have a different career and that's really important to me today. I'm useful in my career and um, I'm really, really grateful for that opportunity. I have a beautiful partner, two beautiful stepdaughters, and I'm now a mother. Um, I truly, truly believed I never deserved to be a mother because of the way that I drank. Like I said, I thought I was a really bad person. I thought I was a morally depraved person. I didn't understand that I was a sick person. Um, So that's been an absolute blessing in my life and was never the part of the plan, but, you know, I, I just felt incredibly blessed that I was, like I said, free from the obsession to drink alcohol. To me, just that is enough. Everything else that has come has just been, bonus, yeah. yeah, that wasn't planned by me. Like I said, I've just turned up. I've put in some action and worked on myself, um, which, you know, in the 12-step program of Alcoholics Anonymous, that's all on offer, and um, and that was suggested to me to work through that program, which I've done and I continue to do. So by continuing to work that program and look at myself and be willing to change myself and be honest and open-minded and, like Jan said, connect with other members and, and talk about things that are going on, and that's all I need to do, and everything else has just come as a result of doing that. So life's so, very different. Yes. Yeah, so not without challenges, though. I, I understand you lost your licence and have to come back from that process. So what's that like? And having to go through, you know, getting your licence again and um, getting back into society. That yeah, way. well, it, you know, at the time I didn't think so, but it was the greatest thing that's ever happened to my life. Um, I'm Every morning I have a bit of a morning routine and I... Um, you know, I, I state things that I'm grateful for and I'm really grateful that that happened. For me, it was about, you know, a, a taking responsibility for my life and my actions and I was speaking to Jan earlier. I never – I just got on with things. I accepted what had happened and I was just grateful that I was here and that I hadn't harmed anybody in that process and myself and and um, it was really vital for my recovery. I think I couldn't rely on anyone else. I had to take responsibility, like I said, and I never asked for lifts anywhere. I just always figured out how to get places. Um, and then, you know, I was helped out a lot along the way. 
um, it, yeah, it, it was challenging. And I, when I went from my current job that I have now, the job stated that you have to have a driver's license. So I'm an outreach worker. And, um, but again, it didn't really bother me. I just thought I'll go along for the interview. And I just didn't address that part in the in the key selection criteria and then they asked me, how are you going to do your job? And I said, this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it on public transport. And I didn't worry about the outcome. I thought I'll just turn up and I'll practice being in an interview. And I got that job. So I did my job for two and a half years without driving. I think I'm the first person they employed. Um, and I was in a lot of fear about it before I got the job and I was doing a placement and I'd said, oh, and I don't have my license. And then the placement supervisor said to me, Tamara, you told me that was the best thing that ever happened to you, so why don't you start believing it? And it was, I think, from <laughs> yeah. then that I did. And then I got my job that I have now. And um, But it was hard turning up to court early days. I was only three months sober and having to listen to a judge in four years. Um, when I got my licence back, my partner was with me, my mum, my sponsor. Um, in AA you have a sponsor of somebody who takes you through the steps. That person was there and, and the judge was very kind and... You said, I'd love to give you a licence back without an interlock. Um, however, this is mandatory and I said, that's fine. Um, mm. And that hasn't really been an issue either. I've just been honest about that with work. I don't drive clients, but mm. it's actually more beneficial for me to go on public transport with my clients and teach them how to use public transport system than to drive them. So, yeah, um, yeah I don't yeah. know whether I would be here today in sober if that hadn't have happened. So, Yeah, good. Um, and I guess the other thing is that improved family relationships so you've you know getting a good relationship with your partner good relationship with your kids you know it's invaluable isn't it yeah yeah that's right and I think it's it's only due to the program and working the the AA program into my life that I can um, work on those relationships I have a different partner now to when I was drinking Um, he's never seen me drinking my children stepchildren haven't but all my relationships prior um, you know, I didn't see a best friend for a year until I was a year sober and we have a most amazing relationship today. She said, it's like it's like you're a completely different person. Um, and my mum, yeah, my relationship's much better. So, mm. yeah. That's good. Yeah. So, Jan, um, you're involved in lots of things, but how's, how's your partner's acceptance of AA and you as a recovering alcoholic how does that work in your life that works really really well um he's always had faith in me he's always believed in me um and I've been really lucky in that respect he um he supports all of these things that I do uh he's always wanted me to be this kind of person and for us to have the life that we have um he enjoys us being happy he yes he's he i'm i'm a very very lucky person and very grateful for the support that i've received um we talk about making amends in aa and just saying sorry was not something i could do there because i'd done it so many times so i have to live this life and i have to change this life and my life and he has said it is I'm I'm AA is a way of life it's it's a way of living positively for me it's living positively that belief was hard to live up to but now I think I can that's good thanks (laughs) that's great if anybody would like to know more about AA or Alcoholics Anonymous uh, you can phone them on 1300 222 or go online at aa.org.au 
Uh, that's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Tamara and Jane. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you. you. Uh, thank you for sharing your AA recovery experience with us. Uh, I hope you'll be able to join us next week.